This is day 152 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Jeremiah chapters 11 through 15. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for another day of life. Thank you for your mercies that are fresh every morning. Lord, your faithfulness is so great, and your love is without end. May we recognize the simple fact that you have always been for us. You have loved us first, and you have always been doing what is best for us. Lord God, we fight you so often. We resist you so often. We don't pay attention. Lord, please help us correct these errors in our logic and in our thinking, that we would exalt you in the proper way. Please enlighten our hearts today as your Holy Spirit shares the word with us. In Jesus' name, amen. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Hear the words of this covenant, and speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not heed the words of this covenant, which I commanded your forefathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice and do according to all which I command you. So you shall be my people, and I will be your God. In order to confirm the oath which I swore to your forefathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, as it is this day. Then I said, Amen, O Lord. And the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the word of this covenant, and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers in the day that I brought them up from the land of Egypt, even to this day, warning persistently, saying, Listen to my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked, each one, in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I brought on them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. Then the Lord said to me, A conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their ancestors who refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am bringing disaster on them, which they will not be able to escape. Though they will cry to me, yet I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they burn incense, but they surely will not save them in the time of their disaster. For your gods are as many as your cities, O Judah, and as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to the shameful thing, altars to burn incense to Baal. Therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not listen when they call to me because of their disaster. What right has my beloved in my house when she has done many vile deeds? Can the sacrificial flesh take away from you your disaster? so that you can rejoice? 
The Lord called your name a green olive tree, beautiful in fruit and form. With the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled fire on it, and its branches are worthless. The Lord of hosts, who planted you, has pronounced evil against you because of the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah, which they have done to provoke me by offering up sacrifices to Baal. Moreover, the Lord made it known to me, and I knew it. Then you showed me their deeds. But I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter, and I did not know that they had devised plots against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tries the feelings and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you have I committed my cause. Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, so that you will not die at our hand. Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am about to punish them. The young men will die by the sword, their sons and daughters will die with famine, and a remnant will not be left to them. For I will bring disaster on the men of Anathoth, the year of their punishment. Righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? You have planted them. They have also taken root. They grow. They have even produced fruit. You are near to their lips, but far from their mind. But you know me, O Lord. You see me, and you examine my heart's attitude toward you. Drag them off like sheep for the slaughter and set them apart for a day of carnage. How long is the land to mourn, and the vegetation of the countryside to wither? For the wickedness of those who dwell in it, animals and birds have been snatched away, because men have said, He will not see our latter ending. If you have run with footmen, and they have tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? If you fall down in a land of peace, how will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers and the household of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. Even they have cried aloud after you. Do not believe them, although they may have nice things to say to you. I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my inheritance. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has roared against me, therefore I have come to hate her. Is my inheritance like a speckled bird of prey to me? Are the birds of prey against her on every side? Go, gather up the beasts of the field, bring them to devour. Many shepherds have ruined my vineyard. They have trampled down my field. They have made my pleasant field a desolate wilderness. 
it has been made a desolation. Desolate. It mourns before me. The whole land has been made desolate, because no man lays it to heart. On all the bare heights in the wilderness, destroyers have come. For a sword of the Lord is devouring, from one end of the land even to the other. There is no peace for anyone. They have sown wheat and have reaped thorns. They have strained themselves to no profit. But be ashamed of your harvest because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Thus says the Lord concerning all my wicked neighbors who strike at the inheritance with which I have endowed my people Israel. Behold, I am about to uproot them from their land and will uproot the house of Judah from among them. And it will come about that after I have uprooted them, I will again have compassion on them, and I will bring them back, each one to his inheritance, and each one to his land. Then if they will really learn the ways of my people, to swear by my name, as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, they will be built up in the midst of my people. But if they will not listen, then I will uproot that nation, uproot and destroy it, declares the Lord. Thus the Lord said to me, Go and buy yourself a linen waistband and put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. So I bought the waistband in accordance to the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, Take the waistband that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise, go to the Euphrates, and hide it there in a crevice of the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates, as the Lord had commanded me. After many days the Lord said to me, Arise, go to the Euphrates, and take from there the waistband which I commanded you to hide there. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the waistband from the place where I had hidden it, and lo, the waistband was ruined. It was totally worthless. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, Just so will I destroy the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This wicked people, who refuse to listen to my words, who walk in the stubbornness of their hearts, and have gone after other gods to serve them and to bow down to them, let them be just like this waistband, which is totally worthless. For as the waistband clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole household of Israel and the whole household of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people for renown, for praise, and for glory. But they did not listen. Therefore you are to speak this word to them. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every jug is to be filled with wine. And when they say to you, Do we not very well know that every jug is to be filled with wine? Then say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to fill all the inhabitants of the land, the kings that sit for David on his throne, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with drunkenness. I will dash them against each other, both the fathers and the sons together, declares the Lord. 
I will not show pity, nor be sorry, nor have compassion, so as to not destroy them. Listen and give heed. Do not be haughty, for the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God, before he brings darkness, and before your feet stumble on the dusky mountains. And while you are hoping for light, he makes it into deep darkness and turns it into gloom. But if you will not listen to it, my soul will sob in secret for such pride, and my eyes will bitterly weep and flow down with tears, because the flock of the Lord has been taken captive. Say to the king and the queen mother, Take a lowly seat, for your beautiful crown has come down from your head. The cities of the Negev have been locked up, and there is no one to open them. All Judah has been carried into exile, wholly carried into exile. Lift up your eyes and see those coming from the north. Where is the flock that was given you, your beautiful sheep? What will you say when he appoints over you, and you yourself had taught them, former companions to be head over you? Will not pangs take hold of you like a woman in childbirth? If you say in your heart, Why have these things happened to me? Because of the magnitude of your iniquity, your skirts have been removed, and your heels have been exposed. Can the Ethiopian change his skin, or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Therefore I will scatter them like drifting straw to the desert wind. This is your lot, the portion measured to you from me, declares the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in falsehood. So I myself have also stripped your skirts off over your face, that your shame may be seen. As for your adulteries and your lustful neighings, the lewdness of your prostitution on the hills of the field, I have seen your abominations. Woe to you, O Jerusalem! How long will you remain unclean? That which came as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah in regard to the drought. Judah mourns, and her gates languish. They sit on the ground in mourning, and the cry of Jerusalem has ascended. Their nobles have sent their servants for water. They have come to the cisterns and found no water. They have returned with their vessels empty. They have been put to shame and humiliated, and they cover their heads. Because the ground is cracked, for there has been no rain on the land, the farmers have been put to shame. They have covered their heads. For even the doe in the field has given birth only to abandon her young, because there is no grass. The wild donkeys stand on the bare heights. They pant for air like jackals. Their eyes fail, for there is no vegetation. Although our iniquities testify against us, O Lord, act for your name's sake. Truly our apostasies have been many. We have sinned against you. O hope of Israel, its Savior in time of distress, why are you like a stranger in the land, or like a traveler who has pitched his tent for the night? Why are you like a man dismayed, like a mighty man who cannot save? 
yet you are in our midst, O Lord, and we are called by your name. Do not forsake us. Thus says the Lord to this people, Even so, they have loved to wander, they have not kept their feet in check. Therefore the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and call their sins to account. So the Lord said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of this people. When they fast, I am not going to listen to their cry. When they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I am not going to accept them. Rather, I am going to make an end of them by the sword, famine, and pestilence. But, ah, Lord God, I said, look, the prophets are telling them, you will not see the sword, nor will you have famine, but I will give you lasting peace in this place. Then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them, nor commanded them, nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deception of their own minds. Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the prophets, who are prophesying in my name, although it was not I who sent them. Yet they keep saying, There is no sword or famine in this land. By sword and famine, those prophets shall meet their end. The people also to whom they are prophesying will be thrown out into the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword, and there will be none to bury them, neither them, nor their wives, nor their sons, nor their daughters, for I will pour out their own wickedness on them. You will say this word to them, let my eyes flow down with tears night and day, and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people has been crushed with a mighty blow, with a sorely infected wound. If I go out to the country, behold, those slain with the sword. Or if I enter the city, behold, diseases of famine. For both prophet and priest have gone roving about in the land that they do not know. Have you completely rejected Judah? Or have you loathed Zion? Why have you stricken us so that we are beyond healing? We waited for peace, but nothing good came. And for a time of healing, but behold, terror. We know our wickedness, O Lord, the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not despise us for your name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember and do not annul your covenant with us. Are there any among the idols of the nations who give rain? Or can the heavens grant showers? Is it not you, O Lord our God? Therefore we hope in you, for you are the one who has done all these things. Then the Lord said to me, even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Send them away from my presence and let them go. And it shall be that when they say to you, Where shall we go? Then you are to tell them, Thus says the Lord, Those destined for death, to death, 
and those destined for the sword to the sword and those destined for famine to famine and those destined for captivity to captivity i will appoint over them four kinds of doom declares the lord the sword to slay the dogs to drag off and the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy i will make them an object of horror among all the kingdoms of the earth because of manasseh the son of hezekiah the king of judah for what he did in jerusalem indeed who will have pity on you o jerusalem or who will mourn for you or who will turn aside to ask about your welfare you who have forsaken me declares the lord you keep going backward but so i will stretch out my hand against you and destroy you i am tired of relenting i will winnow them with a winnowing fork at the gates of the land i will bereave them of children i will destroy my people they did not repent of their ways their widows will be more numerous before me than the sand of the seas i will bring against them against the mother of a young man a destroyer at noonday i will suddenly bring down on her anguish and dismay she who bore seven sons pines away her breathing is labored her son has set while it is yet day she has been shamed and humiliated so i will give over their survivors to the sword before their enemies declares the lord woe to me my mother that you have borne me as a man of strife and a man of contention to all the land i have not lent nor have men lent money to me yet everyone curses me the lord said surely i will set you free for purposes of good surely i will cause the enemy to make supplication to you in a time of disaster and a time of distress can anyone smash iron iron from the north or bronze your wealth and your treasures i will give for booty without cost even for all your sins and within all your borders then i will cause your enemies to bring it into a land you do not know for a fire has been kindled in my anger it will burn upon you you who know o lord remember me take notice of me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors do not in view of your patience take me away know that for your sake i endure reproach your words were found and i ate them and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart for i have been called by your name o lord god of hosts i did not sit in the circle of merry makers nor did i exult because of your hand upon me i sat alone for you filled me with indignation why has my pain become perpetual and my wound incurable refusing to be healed will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable therefore thus says the lord if you return then i will restore you before me you will stand and if you extract the precious from the worthless you will become my spokesman 
they for their part may turn to you. But as for you, you must not turn to them. Then I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze, and though they fight against you, they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. So I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grasp of the violent. All right, let's go ahead and begin with dissecting what we read today briefly. Chapter 11 is really expanding upon God's reason for the way he's acting and the way he's feeling toward the nation of Judah. And the main issue, apparently, is the fact that the nations of Judah and Israel have broken their original covenant with God. And what covenant is he talking about here? He's talking about the Mosaic Covenant. The one that was made in the wilderness at Mount Sinai when Moses led the people there and he received the Ten Commandments and they made the golden calf and all of that. That is the covenant that he is referring to here. So this was something that has really bothered the Lord for a long time. And now he's at the point where there is no one righteous left in the nation. So therefore, I'm going to act. And so now he is going to do what he says he's going to do. He has relented for a long time because there were still godly people in the nation. But now it is the proper time to send them into exile. To be clear, this is not the first time that Israel has ever been oppressed by another nation. If you look back, especially in the book of Judges, this happened all the time in a repeated cycle. Now this is different because they are all being plucked out of their land. but Israel has a history of being conquered every time they stray from God. And so in this way, they have again strayed from God so badly that God has enacted everything that he promised he would do in his covenant. He talked about it in great detail. If you obey me, all these good things will happen. This, 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 and this. And if you don't obey me, it will get progressively worse for you if you do not listen and you do not obey. If you get in line, then we'll, I'll forgive you, and then we'll move on, and you continue following after me. But if you don't, it, there will be a point where, final straw, I will destroy your land, I will destroy you, and I will send your people into exile. So in addition to that fact that Israel has broken its covenant with God, beginning in verse 18, it shows that there is apparently something going on in Jeremiah's personal life. If we saw at the very beginning of this book, Jeremiah is from Anathoth. And so that's his hometown. And apparently there's some people in his hometown that want to kill him for what he's saying. They want to silence the message of God coming from him because they don't like what they're hearing. God is a God of love. He's a God of peace. All these things about being destroyed by pestilence and by sword, that can't be right. This guy is just falsely prophesying things to scare us. Well, let's put an end to him. God responds clearly that he is going to punish these conspirators because he, Jeremiah has been faithful to God and he will not endure falsehood. 
So we see God is going to protect him from these people. Disaster will be coming to the people that are against Jeremiah soon. Chapter 12 feels very familiar because the Psalms talked about this in great length. And Jeremiah is also struggling with this thought as well. And I think at one point or another, we all struggle with this. I know I struggle with this often. Like he says in verse 1, Lord, why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? It's almost as if you're supporting them. That's what he's trying to say in verse 2 here. You have planted them. They have also taken root. Lord, it's like almost like you're helping them. Are you really doing that, Lord? And God answers him. In verse 5, God answered him directly from his complaints. But he's like, okay, remember those guys in Anathoth that were after you? In verse 5, he's alluding to the fact that the people of Jerusalem are going to be worse than the people of Anathoth. I allowed the people of Anathoth to be against you because I was preparing you for a much bigger assignment. You think that was bad? Just wait until you deal with these people. You will be persecuted for my name's sake. And that sounds familiar too, doesn't it? That's mentioned multiple times in the New Testament. Jesus himself also said it. That if you love me, know that the world hates me, and they will hate you because of me. You will be persecuted. In your days there will be trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That language is straight from Christ's mouth himself who is the Lord God speaking here right now. So we see that God is preparing Jeremiah for his assignment by putting other obstacles in his path and seeing how he will respond. Not only that, but he's giving him that experience so that it won't be shocking when he goes out into the mission field of Jerusalem and try to get them to repent. So God does the same thing for us. He always prepares us for the next assignment. We are trained along the way. It is on-the-job training in God's economy. Then in beginning in verse 7, we see Jeremiah describing the kind of destruction that is going to be taking place in Jerusalem, almost as if like it already happened, even though it hasn't. So this must be either a future prophecy or... This is what he's expecting is going to happen. It's kind of hard to tell. But now, he refers in verse 12 to the sword of the Lord is devouring. Destroyers have come. He's not talking about God himself. God is using a certain group of people to do the destroying. And we know this from history to be the Babylonians. So the nation of Babylon is the destroyers that were mentioned here because they also are the ones that ransacked and burned down Jerusalem in their day. God's nature is all good, and yet he is a God of justice. But he still gives plenty of opportunity for these people to repent and change their ways. Verse 15, It will come about after I have uprooted them, I will again have compassion on them, and I will bring them back. So he's telling them right there, look, there will be a period of time where you will be removed from this land, but I will bring you back. 
I will allow a remnant, which is a recurring theme, I will allow a remnant to return to the land. It will start fresh. A fresh generation, fresh perspective. Then, verse 16, If they will really learn the ways of my people, to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, they will be built up in the midst of my people. So they repent of their ways, and they worship me like they worshipped Baal, then I will establish them back in the land. But if they will not listen, then I will uproot that nation, uproot and destroy it. So it's the same root problem. God's prescription for this is the same. So he is giving them an opportunity to repent. And then when the new generation comes back to the land, he's going to educate them and instruct them in his ways. And if they don't do it, then he's just going to keep trying until somebody finally listens. And what's interesting is going into this, we already know what's going to happen because we've read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Seventy or so years after the exile, which those take place after Jeremiah, obviously, then we see people come back to the land. And so we know this is going to happen. We already know by this point that God is faithful and that he has already done what he said he was going to do. So he is certainly worth our trust. Chapter 13 is an interesting illustration of what God is doing to the nation. Because he's using a waistband, which is in this time was an undergarment of some kind, kind of like underwear of some kind. And so what he tells Jeremiah to do is to buy it and to hide it in a rock and then go get it later when he commands him to. So he tells him to bury it by the Euphrates. So the whole point of this illustration is to symbolize how close Israel is to God's heart. The waistband is a very intimate piece of clothing. Like it's like underwear, like I was saying. So that is a very private, very important piece of equipment, right? And that is the same kind of illustration that God is showing us. God does not want any of this to happen. His greatest desire is for his people that he put his name on, for them to repent and to worship him, to give him the glory. And yet they have not done this. And so he is going to destroy them, but he doesn't want to destroy them. He is only doing it because he has to satisfy his justice. Verse 10, this wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who walk in the stubbornness of their hearts, and have gone after other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. Let them be like this waistband, which is totally worthless. But what does he want for them? He wants this for them, which is in verse 11. I want them to cling to me. I want the whole household of Israel and Judah to cling to me. That is what I have desired. The same way that the underwear clings to your waist, I have made it so that these two nations cling to me, but they have not. 
because I wanted them to be my people for renown, for praise, and for glory. I wanted to give them the best. I wanted my name to be feared across the world through them. And yet they didn't listen. So now I have to do something about it. You forced my hand. Don't we do that as parents? We give our kids multiple chances to we give our kids multiple chances to admit that they've done something wrong or to come clean or to change their behavior before we punish them. It's the same thing with God. It's the same dynamic. He's given them multiple chances, multiple generations, multiple prophets to change this, and they have not. So now he has to do something. Beginning in verse 20, we show that this is the final warning that Babylon will come and wipe out this land. And according to God, he says that the outcome of this is not going to change because he knows the state of their hearts. And like he says in verse 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. He's saying, well, it's like if you have a certain skin color, let's say you're, you have black skin, you can't just not be black anymore. That is something that's permanent. A leopard? A leopard has spots. It can't just one day just wash its spots off. It doesn't work like that. In the same way, he's saying that these people are not going to repent. I know they're not going to repent. So this outcome is inevitable. So it makes me wonder, at least from God's perspective, if he knows it's inevitable, why prophesy against it? I don't know. Chapter 14 is related to a drought that is coming over the land of Judah. And Jeremiah is having a back-and-forth conversation with God about this, where we see him interceding for the people, confessing the sins of the nation, pleading the covenant relationship with God. And God responds to him, stop praying for them. I thought that was very interesting that he said that. He said about two or three times today. Like you see here in verses 7 through 9, Although our iniquities testify against us, O Lord, act for your namesake. Truly our apostasies have been many. We have sinned against you. Why are you like a stranger in the land, or like a traveler who has pitched his tent for the night? Why do you act like you don't know us? Why are you like a man dismayed, like a mighty man who cannot save? God, you're acting like you can't save us. Why are you doing this? Save us, Lord. Do not forsake us. And what does he say? It's almost as if God's saying, it's not that I can't save them. They don't want to be saved. Like he says in verse 10, even so, they have loved to wander. They have not kept their feet in check. They have not looked where they were going. They have not taken the steps that I have prescribed for them. So I'm not going to accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and call their sins to account. I'm going to hold them accountable. Then he says this, Do not pray for them. When they fast, I'm not going to listen to their cry. And when they offer burnt offerings, I'm not going to accept them. Rather, I am going to make an end of them by the sword. Wow. God has obviously had enough. So much so that God has told 
Jeremiah to stop praying for them. Because this, there's no going back, Jeremiah. I am not going to relent this time. You are petitioning for them, and I love what you're doing. But they need to be held accountable for their mistakes, and I am going to judge them. And we see very interestingly that in the rest of the chapter, especially beginning in verse 17 through the end of the chapter, Jeremiah is continuing to petition anyway. And you think, well, Jeremiah, he told you to not pray for them. He told you to stop. Why are you disobeying him and you're continuing to petition? He seems to be carrying on the same tradition of Abraham, if we remember that, where he kept bargaining with God. He continued to intercede for Lot and for Sodom and Gomorrah, even though God told him, you know, something definitive every time. Lord, if there are 50 people who are righteous, please spare the city. Okay, I will spare it if there's 50. Lord, what if there's 40? Sure, I will spare it if there's 40. Lord, how about 30? Yes, if there's 30, I will spare it. Lord, I am so sorry I'm doing this again, but 20? Yes, if there's 20, I'll spare it. Lord, I know I am probably way overstepping my boundaries here, but would you spare it if there's 10 righteous people? Yes, yes, I will. There were not 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. So God continued his judgment. It's the same kind of thing with the nation of Israel at this point. There is no one who is following after God, except Jeremiah, it seems. So he, even though this is the case, verse 22 is that illustration. Are there any among the idols who give, give rain? Can the heavens grant showers? Is it not you, O Lord? Therefore we hope in you, for you are the one who has done all these things. And I can imagine God just like, well, yeah, I, I know it's me. I'm doing all of this. I wish the people saw it like that. And then in chapter 15, verse 1, God responds to that final statement that Jeremiah made in chapter 14. And he said, Even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with his people. Send them away from my presence and let them go. Those were two men, specifically, that were successful in petitioning on behalf of the people. If we remember when Moses was the one interceding for the land, when they started making the golden calf, God told Moses, I'm going to wipe these people out because you see what they're doing? I'm going to wipe them out, and through you, Moses, I will make a great nation. And you see Moses petition to the Lord, remember who you are. Remember that, look at what the Egyptians are going to think. Oh, that God brought them out to the wilderness to destroy them. For your name's sake, Lord, spare these people. And God relented. He didn't change his mind, but he relented. So Moses was successful in petitioning for the people. Samuel was the same way. Samuel was the last judge of the people, and he petitioned to, for them many times, including the king that they wanted so badly, even though God didn't want that. God let them have it, but that was not his perfect will. But Samuel was successful in petitioning to the Lord on the behalf of the nation. 
But even if you brought those guys back and they stood before me and they petitioned on behalf of Israel, I won't listen to them. So, Jeremiah, I appreciate what you're doing, but even the greatest people before you would be unsuccessful at this point. I am going to do what I said I'm going to do. There's no turning back. And I thought this was very interesting, and this is something that I'm going to be studying more deeply myself, but verse 4. I will make them an object of horror among all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. He's the reason why we're at this point. And I thought this was very interesting because this is during the time of Josiah, more or less. And Josiah is the grandson of King Manasseh. But if we recall, Manasseh was not born until after Hezekiah was almost about to die due to some sort of illness. And then when Hezekiah's life was extended, then Manasseh was born. So if God had wiped out Hezekiah to begin with, then Manasseh would never have been born. We don't know if Hezekiah did not have any other kids. It doesn't really say, but let's assume that he didn't and Manasseh was his only son, then he was necessary to carry on the line of David. But other than that, there was really no reason for Manasseh to live because he was the worst king that ever came into the land of Judah. And that's the reason why God's wiping them out. God let him be born. It's very interesting. So I'm not saying God is wrong because he absolutely is not, but it's very puzzling. If this was what was going to happen, then why allow it to happen to begin with? Ultimately, though, I think the root problem is, just as it is, with all human nature, this was the inevitable end anyway. I think that Manasseh expedited this. This outcome was going to be inevitable, because human nature is against God. And so this was just going to be the way it was going to be anyway. At least that's what I think. And then to finish up the chapter, we see that the prophet Jeremiah is recommissioned into active service. He has been preparing this whole time for his big assignment, and now it is time for the final commissioning of Jeremiah so that he can do what he was designed to do. And so God goes through all the details of everything that um, he's done for him, where Jeremiah's heart is, and we see that he's in a very good place. And best of all, God has promised to protect him. And this verse really stuck out to me because he says the same thing to us. Verse 19, Therefore thus says the Lord, If you return, then I will restore you. Before me you will stand And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. For for their part, they may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. He's telling Jeremiah that if he walks a holy path, God will be with him every step of the way. But not only that, but he will be his spokesman. We are, by extension, God's spokesmen and women because we carry the Holy Spirit with us, 
and we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are his spokesmen in the earth. That's how we go and make disciples of all nations. We are his spokesmen. He will use us if we are living a holy life. If we are living our way, God will not work in us the way that he wants to work. He wants to bless us, but he also wants to give us an assignment. And the assignment, we are being prepared for it. And when it's time for him to activate us, so to speak, it will be done. So until then, we need to be ready. We need to be preparing. We need to also note this is, for their part, they may turn to you. They may listen to what you're saying, and they may like it. They may accept it. They may accept the call of the Lord. But as for you, you must not turn to them, meaning that you cannot go back to your old ways. You cannot be assimilated into their culture and into their desires. You are no longer a part of that world, Jeremiah, and we aren't either. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And with that, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.